0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Malti lassie's the founder and chief strategy officer at NuViz. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing is actually really innovative and cool, but maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Um, yeah, sure. Um, well, born and raised in Germany. My accent probably gives me away right away. Um, <laughs> born and raised in Germany, moved to moved to Switzerland um, for pretty much to play bad pro basketball um, for a couple of years there, got my education in Switzerland, and then... Uh, Uh, Eventually, I guess, emigrated to the U.S.
0: Okay, so what did you take in university?
1: Um, I'm a business major, uh, undergrad in business, and then also an MBA from a school in Switzerland.
0: Okay, so what made you want to take business in university? Oh, that's a good question. Oh and,
1: um <laughs> I'm trying to think back in time of uh, what my decisions were when I was uh, I guess coming out of high school in eighteen nineteen. Sure. Um I got to just in, in, in general um interest in uh, and you know how trying to understand how companies tick and how uh, how you know businesses uh, around me um function. Um just general interest in that and uh um yeah, so I think that was that was kind of the, the primary reason back then. Um I don't know if I really had a had a long um, thought process um, coming out of high school getting into into uh, into studies. Um, I just kind of fell out to place.
0: Sure. So how did you make your way to America?
1: Um, so I uh, actually went to San Diego on a exchange program um, in the first year of my master master's degree. Okay. Um, and then yeah, ended up falling in love with the city. Uh, with it's my beautiful my area, fiance,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the city,
1: with my now fiance, and uh, and I guess with the with the you know, U.S. in general, and then moved back to Germany for a couple of years, worked, worked over there, and then eventually uh, decided it was time to for me to move out here to San Diego again, and um, and and I guess become a, a permanent resident.
0: Got you. No, that that's great, man. So walk me through exactly what Nuvis is and why did you decide to found it.
1: Um, so, NUVIS set out to to revolutionize the motorcycle experience by bringing head-up display technology and connected driving technology to the motorcycle space. Okay. Um, and the company was, I think, started pretty much out of personal interest and, and um, um, background and knowledge in the head-up display and new display space. Um, so, myself and uh, my co-founder, myself, uh, we're both motorcyclists, and myself in particular had a long uh, history in, uh, in the optics and display technology world uh, from this company that he previously founded in Germany and then brought over to the U.S. Um, so the two of us um, have been um, working in the display space for, for a while and then I guess there was a, a personal interest level to bring the uh, near-to-eye display, head display optics um, experience into the consumer world, into, uh, into an area where we both um, had a personal desire for the technology um, and where we both believe that the the, the technology uh, would be adopted and would be used by the consumer, and where there's an obvious need for the technology in the space. Um, there was a time, I think, in 2013, when we first started the ideation process, uh, where Google Glass was introduced, and um, there was a lot of buzz around the um, you know initial steps in the augmented reality world and near-to-eye near display world. Um, and we always thought that the technology in itself is great, but um, that you need to build... Technology that is, that is application and purpose built for a specific specific use case, and uh, we thought that these general application near sight displays uh, lacked that in the beginning. Um, um, yeah, sitting at Starbucks, um, seeing Facebook notifications pop up in your Google Glass to me wasn't very appealing. Um, but we thought that there was a, a immediate use case um, for for such technology in the motorcycle space, uh, where you know keeping your eyes on the road, seeing relevant information as a rider. Um, and uh, processing information in an intuitive, um, intuitive fashion uh, is, is critical. So, I guess those were the uh, the initial uh, stages in the ideation process, and then uh, we've been ever been edited ever since.
0: Sure, I I I love what you guys are doing. I, I think it's really cool. So, for people that haven't heard of NuViz, like how does it kind of work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's um when we wanted to bring head-up display technology to a motorcycle rider. Um, We had initially different ideas how that could be accomplished. Um, And then pretty quickly settled on an approach where we bring the um, experience to any of the existing helmets. So it's an aftermarket approach. Uh, This is a head-up display that mounts onto your existing helmet um, from a mounting process similar to a GoPro camera uh, attaches to the external of your your chin bar on a motorcycle helmet, um, and uh, can be taken from helmet to helmet. So motorcycles usually uh, have several write, uh, several helmets, um, different helmets, different colors for different riding applications or seasons. Um, so we thought it was a better idea to bring the experience that we wanted to create to all of the helmets that already existed out in the market, uh, as opposed to integrating our technology into a um, into motorcycle helmet and then essentially becoming a, a helmet manufacturer, uh, as opposed to a, uh, a technology company that's focused on optics, electronics, and, uh, and the software and, uh, and user experience. Um, so... Um that's the path that we've been on and um we're now I guess getting ready to to finally launch the product.
0: No, I I think that's great. So when you guys like obviously you had to have built a kind of a first prototype of of the physical thing, kind of walk me through the early kind of prototyping stage of that. Like what did you guys use to actually build kind of the first version of this thing?
1: Um well, I guess we uh, had an advantage here too in the beginning, um, given the background from our cell and optics space, and just having access to uh, micro displays, to different okay. lenses, to an actual optical lab. Um, so we, I guess, kind of were able to hit the road uh, running and had some optical engineers on the team that um, that understood uh, optics and and the and the human factors behind creating a near tie display and what it takes. So um, I think we really started with you know slapping. Um, off-the-shelf displays together and, and uh, workbench applications of uh, creating different, different layouts and different setups for the optics itself. Um, so I think that, that was the hardest part to solve in the beginning um, trying to come up with a task for our optical solution that is in a price range where um, you can sell it to uh, um, in the consumer electronic um, price range um and uh, that still creates a user experience that is that is good enough you know obviously um you're dealing with ambient light, um glare and all these That's additional true. um complications that that um that all the new side displays or head up displays companies or smart glasses companies are facing um so those were the initial kind con- of consideration how they can be overcome and and then of course with an external approach like ours how do you make it um, make it resistant enough to withstand debris and pebbles flying against it and and of course ingress protection um so that was uh, the initial stages, really um, focused around the optics. And then an additional uh, hurdle that we had is, of course, the, um, um, the mounting approach, how you actually bring this technology to your existing helmet. Um, and as you, as you may know, optics are always very much designed for the specific um, use case. So depending on how far the optics are away from your eye and where they're positioned with, uh, in relation to your eye, um, you need to consider um, various factors for the optical design. Uh, which ultimately needs to have a fair amount of, uh, a larger amount of um, freedom for the rider to adjust the optics in the right way. Um, there, no helmet is the same, and no eye position within the helmet is the same. Um, so the, the second step was definitely trying to come up with an industrial design or mechanical design, design I should say, um, to, to make sure that the they display and the optics, optics can be adjusted to, uh, to all riders and to all helmets that are out there. Um, and that was a lot of just simple trial and error and, and trying to figure it out um, how it can be solved.
0: Sure. And I'm just also assume that with people that wear like say glasses or contacts, does, does that factor into how, how the angle and, and that stuff? Because like I'm assuming that obviously at nighttime it might be easier to see than the daytime because you don't have like sun coming at you. Is that something you guys had to factor in as well?
1: Um, uh, you would think that optics, uh, that sorry, uh, that um, um, contact lenses or um, or regular glasses play a role. They actually don't because okay. the um, the virtual image in our case um, is designed to be in focus at 30 feet in front of the rider. Um, oh, so okay. you know, although the actual optics are just a few inches away from your eye, um, the the um, the user looks through the display. And sees the image in focus at 30 feet. So if you're right if you if you require glasses to be able to see in focus, you know, while riding a motorcycle, um, then um, and you know, of course, you would wear glasses that would make the roads appear in focus at 30 feet or beyond. Um, then those glasses will also work to see our emission in focus. Um, so you don't have to wear reading glasses um, to see our display, which you wouldn't wear as a rider uh, being on the road. Um, so that's. That's not a problem, um, but then of course, um, you know, there are considerations with regards to polarized glasses, and um, there are certain things that you can't build into the uh, into the optical canal that uh, would essentially uh, make the image invisible for polarized. If, if a rider were to wear polarized glasses, uh, so that's something that we have to overcome. And then um, you already mentioned, of course, the the ambient light um, in general, and then in, in, in the nighttime riding experience, um, there's less ambient light. Therefore, you actually don't run the LEDs at the highest brightness level and actually, need to dim, actually dim them down to uh, not you know, blind the rider in a sense uh, or overwhelm them with something that is too bright. So we have an, an ambient light sensor built in um, that automatically reduces the, the brightness level of the display. If you go into a tunnel or into, into an area of the road where there's a lot of street coverage or if you go into nighttime riding, then the LEDs will dim down and, and bring it to a level that is, that is um, similar to your surrounding area. Um, but for the daytime writing, of course, achieving the, the brightness that is required to still uh, see the image and not um, have enough contrast for for the information that you want to show on the head of display, um, those are definitely um, some key considerations. And um, we're, we're working um, or we're using technology that... Uh, Has been used in the military space for um, for decades, and it's known for being um, very very bright. Um, It's a reflective display technology, so you can um, the more you crank up the LEDs, the more brightness you can create on the display, and then ultimately the display just reflects all the light that you bring from the LED onto the display. Um, So that's um, um, that's a way that we're able to to create a um, the the brightness level that we need for, for daytime riding. And, of course, riders tend to go out when it's sunny and nice outside. Sure. Um, or are more prone to go outside when it's nice and, and sunny outside. And so that's definitely uh, one of the ambient, one of the conditions that we needed to design
0: for. Got you. So how does it, like, why 30 feet? Is that, like, a known kind of distance, or, or why did you guys decide that?
1: Um, yeah, that's kind of the distance where um, you, as a rider, are focused on for the immediate dangers. Um, so um, you know, if, if there's a two by four on the road or something else that uh, you really want to, you know, dodge and 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 drive around, uh, that's kind of distance where where your eyes are focused at. Um, and then from um, so that that makes sense that the, the the I guess the the most the the focal lengths where the potential dangers are and the display. Is at the same length. So what you're trying to avoid is the accommodation from your eyes from looking from something far down the road to looking to uh, focusing to refocusing to something that's close by. Um, So 30 feet is kind of in that medium range. um, And from 30 feet onwards, um, it is actually almost perceived as infinity for your eyes. So the accommodation from 30 feet to infinity is is very minimal for your pupil. uh, Whereas from 30 feet coming closer to like one feet or three feet or so forth. Uh, takes a, takes a lot more. Um, so you know, if you if you look out and you see, um, you focus at at something a little bit further away, and then something even further away, there's very limited, um, you know, accommodation required. Whereas looking at your desktop screen and then looking up against the wall, you know, there's there's already more more required there. So that those were some of the human factors considerations that um, that came into play, and then of course the the eye box and field of view and and all these other optical parameters.
0: Sure there's like this is all fascinating to me because there's so much stuff that goes into this that people don't even think about like they they put on their helmet they they go but like there's so much that you guys thought about and put into this thing to make it almost like a seamless experience right for the user and I, and I love that so Curious yeah, and, 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 and go ahead.
1: Sorry. Um, yeah, and um, the I think the most important part is not just the the optics, but then of course also what you what information you display on the on the optics and uh, and um, you know what the user experience feels and looks like. Um, so our our credo is definitely that uh, less is more when it comes to showing information to the writer. Sure. Um, we we only want to display relevant information and and contextual information. Um, so. Uh, there won't be any Facebook notifications or Twitter feed popping up. Um, it's really limited to critical data that you, as a rider, already have access to, in some other form or fashion on the bike, um, and designed in a in a way that um, does not create any cognitive overload um, and it's intuitive to navigate through. So I think those are those are key considerations, um, and our goal is to augment the riding experience, is not uh, to change the riding experience, um, and. Um, and, and, and you know and enhance it in that sense um, so minimalism is definitely key when it comes to the user interface and the user experience design
0: sure and I want to get more into that in a second but like is it could this be considered like kind of like distractive riding or is it like is it legal to have kind of something like that that you're showing people yeah, it, or the fact that like it's not really any different than me looking at like a dashboard in my car
1: um, yeah, it's so it's definitely legal um, to to use a, a product like this, um, and the um, you know there's a reason why head-up displays are now emerging in the uh, in the automotive space um, as a um, as an either OEM in, uh, integrated display or now of course as an aftermarket display that is that you can put on your dashboard, and uh, sure. so the, the, the advantages of having information in your in your direct line of sight. Um, are known and that's why you know it's been in aviation and in, in military aviation and commercial aviation and now in automotive, mo- automobiles for for decades um, and it's now of course moving into a space where arguably the motorcycles benefits from the technology the most. Um, sure. So from a leg- legality perspective, um, it's it's definitely uh, definitely fine and from a, from a distraction perspective, it's certainly um, certainly you need to consider what you show to the rider and and uh, need to be competent about. Uh, the information that you want to display and how it's displayed, um, but again, we're we're keeping that very limited and very minimal, uh, so it's essentially alphanumeric the information. Um, and we can talk about the features in a second here, but um, but uh, the it's not it's not um, it's not overloading or in any way distracting to the writer. Um, and our user testing has been very favorable, favorable, and uh, we're actually conducting uh, research studies now also with universities um, in Europe as well as in the US. Um, to, to you know, prove, I guess, the, the, uh, the human factor's influence on, on, on this and how, how it's perceived um, versus mm-hmm. other technologies. You know, writers mount their navigation system or their smartphones onto the handlebars and how does the head of display experience in general compare against uh, the traditional ways of showing displaying information to the writer. And so initial, initial results, uh, this is definitely very favorable for, for Nuvis and, uh, and the head of display experience.
0: Well, sure. Like it, it has to be better because you're not looking down. Like if you're, you're, like if you mount your smartphone, you're looking down, right? But with you guys, you're you're just looking forward, and you're showing. Yeah, that's, information. that's
1: correct, and, yeah, that's correct. And then on top of that, um, our user interface is designed for this high-speed application. Um, you know, arguably, oh, um, a lot sure. of the a lot of the the apps that you could run on your on your smartphone are designed for you walking around downtown. You know, with Yelp in your hand or a Google Maps in your hand, um, not necessarily designed for the motorcycle application and the amount of information that you can process as a rider on the bike. Um, So we strip down, uh, you know, when we talk about navigation, for example, we don't show you um, the full detailed maps that would be available for you on a mobile phone or on a desktop. Uh, It's very much trimmed down and simplified.
0: Sure. So we've kind of talked around this a little bit. So what types of... Well, before we get to that, how does... Your device actually get and be powered. It's Bluetooth to my phone, correct?
1: Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So we, um, from a from a control perspective, we actually have a handlebar mounted controller. Um, that, that controller is Bluetooth Low Energy um, to the Nubis display, um, and uh, from the connectivity from the from Nubis to your smartphone, that's also via Bluetooth.
0: Okay. So, I. Obviously, like I, I can see it, and then I, I can control the notifications from my handlebars. Is that what you just said? Uh, correct. Just...
1: Yeah, correct. So we have a handlebar mount controller. It's um, 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 up and down controls plus uh, plus four hotkeys to navigate through the through the user interface. Um, and the user, um, the UI paradigm that we've developed, we believe is very simplistic and easy, very easy to learn for a writer. Um, so it's essentially up and down um, to go between the main screens and main views or features. And then um, there are two buttons on the control that are correlated to, uh, to two input um, fields on the display itself. Um, so I guess, you know, like talking about it right now is a little bit difficult to understand um, sure. over, over the phone or without actually seeing it. But um, it's, it's definitely very intuitive. Um, and we have a key on the controller as well to activate the video camera to take photo or video. Um, so, we've, we've tried to make this as, as simple as possible and as also as common as possible. Of course, uh, riders are already used to having uh, handlebar controls for all of the instruments or all sure. the functionality that their bikes have, um, so we're just extending that uh, that functionality with our controller. Um, of course, early on, uh, we also looked into voice commands, um, since we do have a headset and a microphone um, that the user can install in the helmets for audio um, and communication um, features. Um, but I think at this point, the, the quality of uh, voice commands within this high ambient noise environment inside of a helmet uh, is just not, not uh, good enough yet to create a frustration free user experience. Sure. Um, so, for the time being, we opted for, for the control uh, and, and, and I guess physical input device uh, versus the audio commands. But that said, we are definitely going to, to roll out additional uh, voice command features as well um, as the technology and voice recognition software improves.
0: Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that, that's actually kind of really interesting in itself, right, that you guys made probably – it was probably a tough decision to decide to not include that right out of the gate. But you're right. Like if the hardware doesn't really support it yet, then it doesn't really make sense to include it. I, 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 that makes a lot of sense to me. So l- what kind of information do you actually show to me while I'm riding?
1: Yeah, the the key feature that um, that our focus group interviews from the very very beginning uh, revealed were of course that that navigation is one of the the key uh, the key features. Sure. Um, so that's the that's the I guess the key um, key experience that we enable. Um, and then of course we're able to display um, just speed um, as well as uh, as time. Um, we have a. Communication features to so be able to take calls, make calls, um, actually see who's calling. Um, if you are interested in listening to music, of course, we are also able to stream music from your from the smartphone um, to the display, and you can you have very simplistic in- inputs for you know which song is playing and, uh, and 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 skipping skipping the song, pausing the song. Um, we have a camera integrated, so you can take point of view photos and videos, and, and take um, take uh, yeah capture your experience and your writing writing experience. And um, the images are actually automatically um, sent to your smartphone. So whenever you pull over at a coffee shop uh, or at home, the photos that you've taken on your ride are automatically in your library on your smartphone. And then uh, for the videos, um, you can either um, get them over Wi-Fi when you connect to your home Wi-Fi or um, just take out the SD card and, uh, and you know pull them over onto your computer.
0: Sure. So did you guys have to build your own kind of apps for this, or are you just like, how, walk me through kind of how I use my far- smartphone to connect to your device, your headset?
1: Yeah, correct, so there's, there's, um, there's a Nubis application um, that is your gatekeeper to, uh, to our hardware, okay. um, but in the future we'll also um, function as a standalone application um, for you as a writer to connect with other writers and uh, track your experiences and, uh, and share your experiences. Um, so it's um, um, you know uh, I think at this at this point for the initial launch um, I guess what you would consider a companion app, um, but the the backend functionality is already built in to support more and more features moving forward. Gotcha. Um, and for us, I think very importantly, uh, as riders, you often go out and drive in uh, in the middle of nowhere, um, out of cell phone reception, um, and for riders in Europe, you know you cross several countries within a. A day of writing right. um, where you would then encounter roaming charges. so the navigation that we have built in is actually a standalone um, navigation um, engine um, using offline maps um, so you you don't have to stay within cell phone connectivity to to actually reroute or update your maps or choose a different different location um, so that's a, um, so the I, I guess the the display itself or the Nubus as a, as a product on your helmet. Um it's connected to your smartphone, but it doesn't have to be. so if if you as a writer go out in the middle of nowhere, um, it can function as a standalone device. And from an electronics perspective, it's essentially a smartphone minus the, uh, the, um, the 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 cell phone connectivity.
0: Got you. Okay, interesting. So you guys built the software that runs on the actual device then too?
1: Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah, it's Android based, and so we we got a couple of soft, software engineers um, or firmware engineers on the team. Um, so there, there's um, yeah, I think you can tell there's a lot of uh, a lot of pieces um, that are required to to bring this together. Um, sure. Updates is updates is one element, but the the software and backend and uh, the firmware firmware on the controller firmware on the on the head of display, and then of course the smartphone application iOS, Android. Um, a lot of a lot of pieces to bring the user experience together and. Um, and, um,
0: yeah. Sure. So, so you you mentioned Android and iOS, obviously you're, you're supporting both platforms. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious and obviously like I I just, so just for everyone and yourself, like I I prefer Android over iOS. I'm, that's my kind of daily phone. (laughs) Um, I have an iPhone as well. So I, like I use both platforms on a daily basis, but like and I'm not getting kind of political on this, whether you're an Android or iOS guy. It was is it was it it was probably a lot easier for you guys to work Android to Android than kind of Android to iOS and pull notifications out of iOS just because I know like certain things Apple won't allow you to do. And like a a good example of what I'm basing this on has nothing to do with you guys at all. It was like, I was reading the Android Wear 2.0, which is their like Google's version of like the Apple Watch um, software. Like there's a lot that you can actually pair an Android watch with uh, an iPhone, but like Apple won't let you actually pull a bunch of stuff from the (laughs) iPhone. So like you guys being a third party developer, it's got to be a lot harder to integrate with iOS than than Android. Did you guys experience <laughs> that?
1: Um, I think that uh, that is a question that our head of software would be more capable of speaking speaking to. Okay. And the the challenges are likely off that he he and his team are encountering on a daily basis. Sure. Um, personally, and uh, personally, I'm an uh, iPhone user. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> but do you I get different notifications? I make sure that the team is team is working on an iOS application that that, uh, that works very smoothly sure. um,
0: but did you but do you get different types like types of notifications or you guys are trying to make them pretty much similar between the two platforms
1: um, the goal is definitely to create an experience that is um, that is uniform across both platforms okay. um, and when it comes to the notifications um, again we're trying to limit um, any any useless notifications um, to the writer um and, and you know, so it's essentially incoming or outgoing calls that we would display. Oh so it's, um, it's example, irrelevant then. Yeah. Incorrect, yeah. We are we're not we're not even showing um showing test text message messages oh, okay. um, that would um, that would, would occur. Um we're still evaluating whether we're gonna show you know message receipts from mom, but then it is up to you whether you wanna pull over and read your the text message from your mom or whether you think it, it can wait for, for another hour or so while you're on the bike. Um oh, but okay. we definitely won't we definitely won't show you um, show you the, the actual written text on the display. Um, of course, you know reading it to you at one point this is a different topic, um, and sure. those will be some of the customizations that you as a writer can also also could do, you know, and kind of customize the experience to what you as a writer prefer. For example, I uh, I tend to usually write without headsets in and uh, and don't like to listen to music or, or even have communication in, inside of Mohammed. Um, so if you if you don't want that, I personally. Prefer to just uh, have the uh, the visual cues and having the navigation and, and 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 information available available to me, but actually not listen to um, to you know Siri or 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 um, Google tell me where to go. Um, so that, you know that that very much depends on the preferences of the writer, and we're trying to make our platform um, customizable to a certain extent to um, to cater to all these preferences.
0: Got you. No, that that makes total sense, and like i think the thing is i know just like getting i i I messages can be tricky off ios so but yeah if you guys aren't even showing them it makes a lot of sense so i I get that and you're right like everybody's gonna pick and choose what they want to see or not see or listen to music or not listen to music so i i think that's that's really great so when are you guys launching this thing and can when can people actually buy this thing
1: yeah, we're um, we're getting ready now for ramp up. Right um, now, we're looking at a at a May June timeframe. Okay. Uh, to actually um, actually ship the product, um, I guess just in time for for the writing season 20, uh, 2017. Perfect. Um, the majority of our team is actually, um, or the majority of our engineering team is, is based in Finland. Okay. Um, so of course, of course, the guys over there are very excited to also get the product into the European market as quickly as possible and uh, we're actually working right now for a somewhat simultaneous launch in Europe as well as in, in, in the US.
0: Got you. So how how is working with you know having an office in um, America and having an office you know overseas like how is that kind of dynamic building a physical hardware product there's got to be a bunch of challenges around just even time zones, never mind building something physically. So how are you guys kind of working through those challenges?
1: Um, yeah, the 10-hour 10 10 hour time difference definitely makes for a lot of early morning through or late-night calls. Um, that, is, that is, I guess, one of the, the key disadvantages. Sure. Uh, but other than that, we're, we're definitely very happy um, with our location in, in, in Finland. Um, maybe for your background information, um, as, as you know, Microsoft acquired Nokia yep. Um, yep. a couple of couple years ago, and then quickly after that, wrote that acquisition off. Um, and and uh, of course, as part of that uh, write-off, also laid off thousands of engineers around the world. Um, a lot of them actually here in San Diego at the at the former Nokia, slash Microsoft uh, mobile phone um, development center, and then of course even more so in in Europe, uh, in Finland in particular. Um, and we were able. When we heard about all these um, uh, layoffs that were going to take place at the end of 2015, we were able to jump on board and essentially recruit our engineering team um, in one big swoop in Finland and, uh, and get guys uh, get guys on board that uh, you know have, to have developed uh, consumer electronics for, for decades and sure. um, have experience of taking a product from ideation to uh, to to the market and also the and in market support and um, and we were definitely blessed to to have the ability to kind of Pick the best guys um, uh, from from Microsoft slash Nokia, um, and, and that work has been um, been great with the guys. And I think you know, I think a lot of the U.S. and California entrepreneurs in particular can can share the pain that finding loyal guys that um, that stick with the company for, for a long time is somewhat challenging to find here. Sure. Uh, you know, the churn rate is churn rate is crazy in, in California um and and yeah so far we haven 't lost anybody in Finland, and the guys are are staying on board and um and uh, as I said are extremely qualified so yeah. the um uh-huh. of course there are challenges from a communication perspective, but the good thing is that um that the guys were used to the setup before as, as I mentioned you know the, sure. there was a big engineering site in San Diego for Nokia and then uh, engineering in in Finland and then uh contra manufacturing in asia um so the guys on the team are definitely used to working in those three time zones, and, uh, and with tools these days, you can, you can get, a, get a lot of the stuff done, and um, of course, then every once in a while, it makes sense to, to get, down, get together in person, and I'm actually traveling over to Finland on Friday.
0: That was, that was going to be my next question to you, is like, how often do you have to go to Finland, or how often are they coming to kind of California?
1: Um, we're, um, I well, personally, I'm trying to be there at least once a quarter. Um, okay. and my, my mom lives in Berlin, so I'm always trying to gotcha. combine, a, a trip to Berlin for the weekend with a, with a business trip to, to Finland, uh, throughout the week and then back the weekend after. Um, so that's, I guess also a somewhat personal, uh, perk for me to, to have the, have the chance to, um, you know, put those quick, uh, Germany stopovers in there on the way to, on the way to Finland.
0: Sure. No, I, I think that's great. And just like the more and more thinking about kind of what you just mentioned about kind of recruiting a bunch of guys from Nokia, like you guys are basically building like a smartphone, right? Without the like without a SIM card because you it has a screen, it has like a bunch of stuff, right? right. Like and it's basically yeah, it's running absolutely. an OS. It's interesting. I I didn't really. That's that's actually really cool that you guys are basically doing that and then syncing that with your phone, pulling pulling. Um, kind of obviously data between the two devices but I'm curious to know then how do you guys like did you guys have to you took Android and you obviously probably had to modify it a bunch so do you how do you push updates to the actual device
1: um, via the app, um, Okay. so okay. firmware, firmware updates, um, you would essentially download via the app and then push the, um, push the firmware update, um, from, from your smartphone to the, um, to Nubis. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, that's the, that's the current, current modus.
0: No, that, that makes, that makes the most sense to, to do it that way. I'm I'm curious about what's battery life on, um, the device
1: yeah, that was a, that's a good question, and was one of the key considerations when it comes to uh, you know, finding the right compromise between form factor, weight, and of course, user experience and duration of the battery. Sure. Um, so right now we're in the five to six hour time frame. Uh, of course, depending on how much HD video you're taking and, sure. uh, um, and how much telephony you' you're conducting. Um, but that's the, that's the average use time. Um, and the batteries are replaceable and rechargeable. Um, so you can either easily bring a second battery on your on your super extended rides um, and then of course uh, you know charge them at home easily.
0: Okay, no that that makes that makes a lot of sense. that's that's actually quite interesting. So you' what's kind of I know you guys haven't kind of technically launched yet, but what are you guys looking to do kind of for maybe the fall or, or next ride season? like is it kind of a new? New version of the hardware, just kind of focus on the software, roll out kind of new features and and display notifications, or 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 what are you guys looking forward to do kind of after you guys get your first version kind of out there and people start using this thing?
1: Yeah, so I think the the software will definitely uh, continue to evolve, evolve um, heavily, um, as I already indicated earlier. We have a have a roadmap of of some exciting features um, that we. That we will roll out independent from any hardware updates. and I think that's also a way for us to to keep the product um, feel and look fresh um, on a on a you know continuous basis, um, even if a, as a, even if the user is not inclined to update um, the hardware right away. Um, so there are some some additional features that are coming this year, and and we have um, I, I can't really speak about which features um, those will be. Um, sure. but you know, some of the, some around the connectivity and ride tracking part and connectivity part, and then also some of the, you know, accident accident detection, for example, and, um, and, um, and then a big part will be connectivity to motorcycles, so the um, vehicle to head up display connectivity uh, is something that we're working on um, in order to get additional information from the bike onto the display, such as RPM, uh, gear position um, actual engine uh, speed from the actual vehicle um so those are those are some things that i uh, i believe will increase the um or f- further further enhance the experience as the display actually ties into you, into your bike itself um and then on the hardware side um, we are working on the roadmap right now for generation one point five and generation two and uh, there are some some uh, cool ideas uh, floating around
0: sure no i I think that's that's really great so where are you guys kind of getting your manufacturing done? Are you guys doing it um, overseas? Kind of that's kind of probably the most common way, or, or like how are you guys? Where are you guys getting these things actually manufactured?
1: Yeah, the the, the um, overseas is essentially the only way that you can go um, to get the product in the consumer electronics space into the price point that um, that makes sense, right? Um, sure. So, um, we have a contract manufacturer in Taiwan, um, Tier One. One contract manufacturer um, that uh,
0: yeah,
1: is b- very familiar with the space and uh, and manufactures similar devices for not not head of the space but similar uh, wearables and consumer electronic devices for for a lot of the the, the high end brands in the world. Um, so that is that is done in Asia.
0: Got you. So how did you guys? find them? Did you, did somebody on your team work with them before? Did you guys do a bunch of homework? Or, or how did you guys yeah, kind of find yeah.
1: them? Yeah, exactly. That was one of the additional um, very favorable perks of, of recruiting our team in Finland. We're essentially using the same contract manufacturer that uh, Nokia and Microsoft used gotcha. in, the, in the years before. Gotcha. Um, so the guys on the team, uh, our general manager in Finland, actually worked um, with the, the ODM uh, director for Nokia and lived in Taiwan for three years before joining Nubus. Um, so he, he's got a lot of personal relationships to our contract manufacturer over there. And, and I think that was actually one of the the uh, only reasons why we were able to get with a tier one contract manufacturer from the beginning, um, because we had those established relationships from the Nokia and Microsoft times.
0: Got you. So have you been to the manufacturing facility yourself?
1: I, I personally have not been been there yet. Um, um, I know that the guys from Finland travel over there on a, on a regular basis. Um, sure. And um, I definitely... Definitely, will um, try to visit the, the facilities at one point as well. Um, but so far, um, that's that's best handled by the guys that didn't know the engineers on the contract manufacturer sites for for years. So no, no need for me to to stick my nose in that.
0: No, that that makes total sense. I'm always just kind of curious to know what people's experience are when they actually go to visit those those places, because like they can be totally different. So I thought I would ask, but. I, I'm, we're kind of coming to the end of the show so maybe let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and NuViz
1: um, yes I think the, the best source right now for additional information on NuViz is on our website um, right NuViz.com and um, that's pretty much the source for for any additional information and will also be the, uh, the shop um, moving forward so once once we're in market, um, we're going a direct-to-customer model uh, where initially you would be able to to get the product on Nubus only.
0: Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time under your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming. Much appreciated.
0: Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them for the future.